0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Bruce, what have you been eating from Trader Joe's lately? Well, it's a go-to for me, Stu, because it ups my repertoire for feeding the kids
2: beyond uh, quesadillas and mac and cheese, so now they can have gnocchi and vegetable fried rice, and all sorts of other really
1: good frozen meals that are easy to prepare. Love the vegetable fried rice. Whether you're looking for snacks for game time, steaks for the grill at dinner time, or sweets for any time, check out your neighborhood Trader Joe's for the best values on the best tasting stuff every day.
2: Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping on Monday following a bonanza of spring football games. We are going to dig into all of that. We're also going to be joined a little bit later by our colleague from Fox Sports, Joel Klatt, who is working the draft this season for a joint venture that's going to be between Fox and NFL Network. And Joel has also bounced around and been to Texas and Ohio State. And so we're going to get his thoughts on college football as well as some of the old college stars trying to transition to the NFL. But Stu, uh, I know you were DVRing games. I know I was pretty riveted to some of the stuff that was going on on Saturday. What do you want to talk about first?
1: I think what I want to talk about first is that I just remembered that in last week's podcast when I was talking about my visit to Clemson, And you were so sure on Kelly Bryant. I was so sure on Kelly Bryant, and you were not. And then, But what I could not have anticipated was what a legendary spring game debut the freshman, Trevor Lawrence, would make. He throws a 50-yard touchdown to another budding star, T. Higgins, who is looking to be their go-to receiver this season. Basically, he went up there, and I know it's a spring game. You're not supposed to read too much into it. But he went out there and looked great, and Kelly Bryant stunk up the joint. And now I think because of that, it's going to be a tougher situation for the Clemson coaches to handle. I'm sure they're going to to be loyal, and they're going to give Kelly Bryant every chance to hold on to that job. But what do you do the first time he struggles, knowing that the fans have all gotten a taste of this fantastic freshman? I think you're
2: overselling it a bit too much. Legendary for any spring game is a bit much. He completed some long passes. That's great. I think the bigger concern, and this is what I, you know, some of the things I was kind of referencing in the last podcast, Kelly Bryant missed some open receivers downfield, and that's the part that would give me pause. Just that that's a big factor in the in the Clemson game is is to hit those deep shots. I mean, Deshaun Watson went for them. He didn't always hit them. Sometimes they got picked off, but a lot of times they did, and that just was such a vertical weapon. So we'll see. I think the point you're bringing up about the potential pressure on Davos Sweeney and that staff is an interesting one. Although, if there's anybody, you know, Dabo Sweeney's won a national title. I think, if, you know, with the you know rare exception of a few other guys, obviously starting with Nick Saban, I don't think they're going to get sucked into pressure and what fans think. But it does make it a little bit of a more delicate situation as it's going forward. You know, I think they have a couple options there. You know. Hunter Johnson was also like a five-star guy who's very talented. It'll be an interesting storyline to to watch because this like I didn't think, you know, Kelly Bryant was good. I didn't think he, this is not Deshaun Watson track record-wise. So I do think that there is going to be
1: a battle that probably will be waged throughout the course of the year. As you pointed out statistically, Kelly Bryant didn't have an overwhelming season last year. But he did lead them to an ACC championship in the playoff. It's just kind of nuts to think that we're talking about him possibly losing his job. And that's why I still think he's the starter week one, no matter what. But it does seem after Saturday that it's inevitable that Trevor Lawrence supplants him at some point. You know, you said I'm making too much out of a spring game. Most of the time I think that's true. But I don't know, I'm reminded of when Jameis Winston went out and put on a show in in Florida State's spring game. And Jimbo Fisher just kept saying that it was still a battle between him and Jay Coker and nobody believed it. Because they because they've seen it with their own eyes. So, but what's yeah. different with that with that do is Jay Coker wasn't the starter, hadn't led them to
2: a playoff. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm talking a little bit out of both sides of my mouth, but I think that in that case you had two guys who are battling for a vacant job. In this case, you have another guy who's got to overtake them, and we'll see. You know, like I guess it's good. This is going to be a fun one, just like you know. There's a handful of other ones certainly Alabama certainly Ohio State that are going to be very intriguing to see what they do
1: okay so what, what stood out to you in some of the other spring games so I watched Ohio State which I'd spent you know a
2: few days around Ohio State feel like I have a pretty good feel for that you know I thought all three quarterbacks were kind of as advertised there Tate Martell showed you he's a dynamic runner and still a work in progress as a passer Joe Burrow you know, coach's kid who is going to be a grad transfer, and that's what makes this this decision for Urban Meyer so much more compelling, because he could go play someplace else and be eligible right away. I thought he looked really good. You know, right down to the last play that Urban Meyer reteated up. You know, the clock I think had already been out, and he hit I don't know forty-five yard touchdown pass to Demario McCall, who had a very big productive spring afternoon. And then the other part of this was was, was Dwayne Haskins, who has a fantastic throwing arm you know, made some wow throws, the kind of stuff to some degree, when you hear people, I don't, I'm not saying it's quite the same arm strength of, a, of a Josh Allen, but some of that stuff where, you know, you see these NFL personnel types, you know, showing film of an amazing throw. Dwayne Haskins had a couple of those and considering as, as good as JT Barrett was as their quarterback, that was the one dimension that Ohio state had been lacking. And you know, just having been there and spent a ton of time around the players and coaches this past week, you know, this is kind of the rare situation where a team's leadership group is actually its receivers. You just don't see that. It's never happened at, our, at Ohio State since Urban Meyer's there. It is there. They have a bunch of speedy guys, some big, some not so big, and I think to take full advantage of that, you know, we're going to see more of a downfield passing game. I think Joe Burrow can give him that too, but you know, Urban Meyer sounds like he's going to make some kind of decision. The staff is at least he and the staff relatively soon. I thought that was was worth checking in, and you saw a bunch of other talent. You know, flashing Chase Young, who was a former big recruit, who the guys around the program said he's that you know, the light has really come on for him. I think we saw. You know, you get kind of an overinflated sense of sacks there because it's just a touch, but you know, he was definitely a big presence there. In addition to the. You know, Joey Boses and—or, I'm sorry, the Nick Boses and Draymond Jones and Robert Landers and a bunch of other guys who are, you know, part of a really stacked defensive line. So I think that was interesting. Watched a little bit the Maryland spring game. Saw some of the Arizona spring game. What other impressions you have besides Clemson? Did you get a chance to see some of those other ones?
1: Not a whole lot. I tried to watch a little of Stanford's, but it didn't because all their quarterbacks are injured. Uh, and they were playing with Richardson who was a walk on who they just made gave a scholarship to finally you know Bryce Love wasn't playing it was hard to get much of a read on things there what did you think of Florida basically turned their spring game into a free for all like <laughs> former players were coming out and playing in it and it was it sounds like it was a lot of fun but it wasn't really much of a preview at all of what their 2018 team might look like no,
2: but if it's fun, considering all the kind of ups and downs that that program has had, it's not been Tennessee like chaos and 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 you know depression, but it's been a lot of angst. And so that that they spent the day having fun, I don't think that's a bad thing. I want to get back to Maryland for a quick second. You know, I watched it, and for a minute, I was like, oh yeah, Matt Canada is here, and because you, you could see it because there was all the motion and guys on basically on jet sweeps and different things and. You know, they didn't have either one of their two starting quarterbacks who really lit up a good Texas defense last year. Those guys are still recovering. So you had Max Bortenschlager still in there. And, you know, it's a little different offense for him. You know, Ty Johnson, the running back, still there. I I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch. Their schedule is really tough. And they're in the toughest division right now in college football. But I am curious to see how the Matt Canada experiment, I don't even it's not really fair to call it an experiment, is going to work as they transition into that. Like I said, those two quarterbacks that were injured this year, they're really good. And I think they're probably better fits for that than what Matt Canada had at LSU, you know, in terms of a trigger man.
1: I think Maryland could be sneaky good. I did watch a little bit of it, and I remember seeing a stat that 98% of their rushing is back, including Ty Johnson, who... A lot of people may remember from that first game last year against Texas. I remember thinking, like, what, what? Who is this guy? He's so fast. And Maryland fans are like, "Where have you been?" He's been, he's been doing this for three years. It's a tough division. You know, it's going to always going to be tough for those.
2: So, so what's sneaky good? I mean, I think it's going to take a lot for them to get this to, to get to a bowl. Really?
1: Yeah. I, mean, I felt like they were headed that way last year until all the quarterbacks got hurt. So. Why couldn't they be a seven and five or eight and fourteen this year? They could. I mean,
2: the reasons why I would say they couldn't be that um, is because that division is so loaded. I mean, you don't. If you're them, you do not get the opportunity to miss them. I mean, this is their this is their schedule. They open with Texas. Now they beat them, but that's definitely not a not a, a sure win. I think they'll win the next two at Bowling Green, Temple. Then they play Minnesota. The, let's say they win that. So are you going to give them the Texas game?
1: You know, I am, I'm inclined to give them the Texas game. It's because, home. So, okay. Yeah. So then they're 4-0. and This is
2: where it gets rough, though. At Michigan, I'm not giving them that game. Rutgers, then, hey, they're 5-1. and Then they go to at Iowa. I'm not sure they're going to. I don't think they win that game. Illinois, let's say they win that. So now all of a sudden they're 6. They got 6 wins. The rest of the stretch is pretty brutal. Michigan State, home. At Indiana, eh. Ohio State at Penn State. I mean, if everything goes right, and you're giving them Texas. You know, we're giving them Minnesota. We're giving, you know, then that's a seven-win season. I mean, granted, maybe the, maybe they'll pull off an upset and knock off Michigan State at home. But I just, uh, you know, I just don't like those odds, just because I don't. I don't see a lot of you know that division is so
1: top-heavy. Back to the podcast in a second, but first. Let's talk about our sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Bruce, you've been trying the product so far. How do you like it? I like it a lot. Between the body wash they provide and the shave
2: gel, the razors always give me a tight, smooth shave, which now that I do a lot more TV, that is more critical. It's a good product. And like I said, you can't go wrong with the body wash. It smells fantastic.
1: I love the Dr. Carver's shave butter. It is fantastic. It goes on clear so you can see where you're shaving. And since Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you, you don't have to set foot in a store, wandering the aisles, hunting for razors or shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, none of it. You got to admit, Bruce, it's very convenient when it just shows up at your door. Yeah, you can't ask for a more user-friendly experience than that. So guys, clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one wipe Charlie's. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash audible. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash audible. I wanted to bring up one other story, you know, not that we couldn't sit here and talk about spring games all day, but there was a really interesting story on AL.com on Monday morning. You remember when Nick Saban was looking for a new offensive coordinator and there were reports that he might be interested in Hugh Freeze, and a lot of people were like, "No, no, no way, no way could he do that, bring Hugh Freeze back on so soon after his downfall at Ole Miss. Well, it turns out he was absolutely ready to bring him on. And Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, nixed it. What do you think about that? Well, I think he was interested
2: in bringing him on the staff. I don't know necessarily. and I'm not sure it was in that role.
1: Well, the report was that he would have been in the role that Josh Gaddis ended up getting. Co-OC receivers coach.
2: I don't think, let's say this. I think Mike Loxley had the chance to go be the OC at another big school. I don't think he was not taking it for the opportunity to stay as a position coach. So from that side, I know where that was. I can say this. I read that story this morning, Monday morning, and I think a lot of it was spot on. I know of another offensive coordinator job, not in the SEC, that Freeze could have gotten. But there was resistance above the coaching staff to making that move happen. So, you know, is this a, is this a hey, you can't do that this year and maybe next year? You know, when when the dust is settled, we'll see. I mean, Freeze are I think is a really good football coach. I know he brings a lot of st- baggage with him because of the way he was fired and also because of the NCA issues there. But, you know, his team and he was the one of the driving forces behind the offense, you know, lit up the Alabama defense more than once. And they lit it up without Johnny Manziel, by the way. Yeah, they had some good receivers. But it wasn't like, you know, this wasn't Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans. This was, you know, at one point it was Bo Wallace. And then, you know, it was Chad Kelly's talented, but it's not like, not talented like that. And they, they went up against a really good team. So I could see why he was a commodity for a bunch of people. But at this point, you know, his reputation is what it is.
1: You know, it was interesting. Well, first of all, according to the report, other SEC schools were interested in him as well. I don't know how far those got. But what's interesting is it wasn't necessarily the calls to the escort services that of why Greg Sankey may have been blocking this. It was the fact that—and it's a good point—how would it look if he showed up on another SEC—especially another SEC yeah. West team in a season when Ole Miss is going to be banned from a bowl because of stuff that happened under Hugh Freeze? Like, that would be a really, really uncomfortable situation. So, totally see why Sankey took that stance— it's frankly the kind of thing that Mike Slive would have done as well, I think. All that being said, though, would Hugh Freeze have a case? And we would need to bring in a Michael McCann or somebody to assess this. Does Hugh Freeze maybe have a case that he was basically essentially collu- the, the, basically the SEC colluded with its schools to prevent him from getting a job? Like, can you legally blackball somebody like that? I
2: mean, is that being blackballed or is
1: that a fact of you broke rules, there are rules
2: against it? And it's not like we're going to waive those because of it. They're just holding firm to I think some of the, some of their policies. It sounds like yeah, and I mean, you're right. That's a legal that maybe there's that a moral legal question. And may you may get five different interpretations if you talk to five different lawyers.
1: And they have they have a written policy that it has to be a that if you had NCA issues, it has to be approved by the commissioner. Then I think they're fine. I think they're in the clear, but. If it's more informal, if it's like, hey, nudge, nudge, you might want to think about doing something else, Coach Saban. Yeah, he may have a case that he's being basically unfairly restricted from what kind of jobs he can get.
2: Yeah, so if you're a betting man, Stu,
1: where do you think Hugh Freeze is two years from now? Uh, I think he will be a... You said 2 years from now. I wouldn't be surprised if next year he's an offensive coordinator for somebody in the SEC. In the SEC. Yeah. But uh-huh. 2 years from now is it possible he would be the head coach at I almost said Arkansas State that <laughs> we've already been there done that. A Sunbelt school. Once that once all that stuff has that cloud has lifted. Maybe so. I mean, he's still relatively young, so
2: I mean, time is on his side on that. I mean, how much how much uh, image cleansing do you think he needs to do for the way he was fired he's been trying to do that I'm seeing Yes. now I somebody else I talked to in football about this last week and they said well the only place I think he's spoken at was Liberty University and as this person pointed out that's the same school that hired Ian McCaw as its AD the the former Baylor AD and so the image is like the the expectation the the context of that was that's the only place you're going to speak at. And it's a place where Ian McCaw works. Maybe you need to go speak at places that are a, that maybe have a little more ethical resolve. I don't know if that was the way this was cast.
1: I mean, I or think at some does, point he's going to need to go in front of a camera or talk to sit down with Tom Bernardi. Yeah, sit down, Tom. Although that didn't really work for Art Bryles. I want to be clear: this is not an Art Bryles situation. Yeah,
2: it's not. It's right. not Art Bryles is What he got let go for, you know, these were, ma- you know, those were major issues where people are hurt. Hugh Freeze, you know, clearly, you know, hurt his family and probably some of the players and coaching staff that that trusted him on some things. But beyond that.
1: So it sounds like you think that that will be the bigger holdup than the NCA issues. I mean, we've seen other coaches. Well, let's, say, let's be honest. We've seen both of these things, right? We've seen coaches who had NCA issues who, as long as the show cause was over, if they're a good enough coach, somebody else will hire them. Bruce Pearl got hired at Auburn. I believe he still, the show cause was still in effect. He couldn't recruit when he first got the job there. But, you know, he's such a proving coach. They went for it, and it has paid off. And then the other side of that, I mean, I would say what Hugh Freeze did might be in the same considered to be in the same realm as Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino took no time at all to resurface with a new job. So. I think the little difference with Bobby Petrino is,
2: and, and again, and I'm curious what our what our audience thinks about this. Bobby Petrino, nobody ever had any, you know, nobody had ever image that Bobby Petrino was some great human being. You know, everything you ever heard from anybody in football was, this is not one of the best people you're going to meet, you know, who's in the coaching profession. And he wasn't putting it out there. I think what probably bit Hugh Freeze to a large extent is, you know, he was very open before this happened and to some degree still after it happened, but about his faith and, and you know, wear it on his sleeve. I don't know if it sounds cliche, but you know he was out there with that. So a lot of people looked at that and said, you know, the kind of felt like they wagged their finger at it. And it was almost like it screams hypocrisy. Whereas, you know, in the case of Bobby Petrino, it's just, no, I don't think anyone ever saw him as, as trying to portray himself in any light. And maybe that's unfair to categorize it that,
1: but Uh, no, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, I mean, my main recollection is that after the Hugh Freeze, After he got fired, after all that stuff came out, I mean, everybody was just saying what a fraud he is, right? It just, this was the, you know, this was the ultimate example of a guy who was selling himself as one thing and was doing something completely different behind the scenes.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll see how the, uh, like I said, I'm curious as to what our audience feels on that and, you know, what the uptake is going to be on it. It's, as I said, I think Hugh Freeze is actually a really good football coach when it comes to that. As I've said repeatedly, he is a phenomenal speaker in front of a group. He's as good as there is at that in terms of motivating some people and rallying them. So, you know, I think he will resurface somewhere. It's just a matter of there's going to have to be some buy-in beyond just the the head coach who, who hires him or the AD who wants to hire him. It's going have to have to happen above them in a way that it, it doesn't register with other moves.
1: He's an excellent football coach. He is shady as heck. But as we've seen time and again, if you're a good enough football coach, that will outweigh the other part. So I'll be interested to see where he lands. I think it'll be somewhere next season. Back to the podcast in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, Lisa, which if you've heard this podcast before, you know that Bruce can't say enough about the comfort of a Lisa mattress. In fact, right now, as I tape
2: this podcast, dude, that's what I'm laying on.
1: So, Excellent. But, uh, you can't beat it. It's it's the best bed I, we've ever bought. Well, good news, Bruce. Lisa is now offering the deepest discount they've ever offered, $125 off a mattress. If you go to lisa.com slash audible, if you go to that site, you'll see there's 11,000 plus five-star reviews. Lisa Mattress is loved by 300,000 happy sleepers and counting, socially conscious with a mission to end bedlessness in America. Lisa Mattress was designed to provide support and pressure relief to every body type and sleeping for a deeper night's sleep. So again, go to lisa.com slash audible for $125 off. That's the deepest discount Lisa has ever offered.
2: And now we're pleased to be joined by our old friend Joel Klatt. He is, as you all know, Fox's lead college football analyst. And and this year we're breaking some new ground here. For the first time ever, you can watch the NFL Draft on network television on Fox. Round one at 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, April 26th, and then rounds two and three. Friday on the twenty seventh at seven p.m. Eastern. Joel, you were going to be all over it. How has this adjustment been for you?
3: Fun. You know, it's it's a challenge. Um, I've been, you know, I've covered the draft, albeit, you know, a little bit from the outside in for for the last few years, and I think it was very similar. Stu, we, and I'll take you guys a little bit behind the scenes. Stu, uh, when we all first kind of arrived at FS1, he and I had a very similar experience. Or at least that's why I remember our conversations, too, because one day, John Entz, who's, who's, you know, one of our basically two presidents, if you will, one of our bosses, um, comes up to me and he was like, hey, we don't have anybody to cover the draft at FS1. And I was looking at him. I was like, oh, yeah, that seems like a problem. And then it dawned (laughs) on me like, oh, he's asking me to cover the draft and be a draft analyst. So I just started dipping my toe into it about, you know, four years ago and it and it is obviously kinda of gone from there. But Sue, what I remember is is our conversation is he had a very similar interaction with you about being a bracketologist. Isn't that
1: right? That's that's right. I don't think it was with him <clears throat> excuse me, but it was Kent and Bardia where they're like, Oh, you know how to do that? We could
3: use that. Why
1: don't you do that? So right. that's how that right. happened. That's,
3: exactly. So fast forward now a few years and um And, yeah, I'll be a part of the the coverage next week. And I really – I'm so excited. Guys, you guys know that I'm very much kind of a football nerd. I I love being involved in the sport, diving into it, doing deep dives. And the draft certainly allows me to do that even with – and this is what's very exciting – with guys that are maybe under the radar. And that's what I'm most excited for. The coverage leading up is always, you know, four or five stars. But I can't wait to talk about some of the guys that you – and I have all been covering for the, their last three or four seasons and get to showcase them to the world as they try to make their transition to the National Football League.
1: So we want to talk draft with you, but we did have one college topic to bring up. I know you've been traveling this spring just like we have. Yeah. And one of your stops was Texas, a program that people have a lot of curiosity about. In year two for Tom Herman, where do you see that program?
3: Yeah, so I'll tell you what jumped out to me was You know, I was down there last spring, and, you know, there were just a couple of guys that were like, oh, you know, they're clearly really good players. Connor Williams was one of them. Malik Jefferson was one of them. And then there were just a lot of question marks. The wide receivers looked good, but hadn't really proven anything. And then this year when I went down, and I'm standing there with Coach Herman, and it just kind of hits me like a ton of bricks. It's like this team looks drastically different, both, both from the size, speed, potential, athleticism it looks drastically different than it did a year ago at this time and and he and i had that conversation and he said that there was no question that they are light years ahead of where they were a year ago and i really believe guys pending the health of their quarterback who i believe is going to be sam ellinger and should be sam ellinger that's a really good football team and i could see them competing for the big 12 championship this year in his second year now, lot of that, listen, all, it all has to do with health, and, and clearly that game th- in week three is a big one against USC in terms of the momentum and so on and so forth. But this is a really good football team. They kept all their assistant coaches. They paid them a lot of money, including Todd Orlando, and I think they could re- legitimately take the next step. I, I came out of there very bullish on Texas.
2: That's interesting observation, and it kind of leads me to this. So one of the things that I think will help them and certainly I think it'll help West Virginia is you have some really good quarterbacks who are leaving that league and yeah. that's going to transition to you and I have both done a bunch of Baker Mayfield games and gotten to know him pretty well. I think we're on the same side of this of thinking how dynamic a talent he is just in terms of he responds great when the lights are bright and everything. And we've yeah. seen you know, all of us have been around Sam Darnold a bunch, and Josh Rosen. The wild card in this, to some degree, is the guy with the biggest arm, who's the biggest guy at Wyoming. Joel, I don't know if you've seen this, but our friend Mr. Mandel, not at all a believer in Josh Allen, the oh, inaccuracy numbers starting with that. So you studied these guys. You've been, you know, yeah. been to some pro days. Are you buying Josh Allen as a top five pick?
3: I'm going to have to agree with Stu. Now, I don't know at the level, so I, I don't know if I'm jumping into the snake pit there or not, but <laughs> I, I have him as as the fourth of the top four. You know, I, I think that he is a better prospect because of his his high-end upside than, let's say, a Mason Rudolph or a Lamar Jackson. But he he is not, and this is, and to me, candidly, it's not all that close. He's not comparable to Darnold Mayfield or Rosen. The inaccuracy numbers are clearly there. Here's another one. You know, when you talk about great players and you've got to be a great player to be selected up there in the National Football League, guys, you have to dominate at some point. And we see guys that are not great players dominate at some point in some game. You can point to a game and say, boy, that that potential is just through the roof. I'm sorry, but I can't find that game for Josh Allen. This incredible player... In that conference versus that competition, and like, granted, there's some good teams in that conference, but you can't show me the game where it was just like, wow, that was incredible. You can't show me that. I mean, JT Barrett had those games going, what was it, 15-15 to end the game against Penn State on the biggest stage in college football uh, up to that point in October. There are guys littered in this draft that have dominated games, and you can't show me that without. And I think that, even more than the inaccuracy numbers, are what worry me and and let's let's face it when your best attribute by a wide margin is on strength we have seen that time and time again not translate to the NFL because the, the position you, you succeed at that position with really three things the ability to anticipate throw with touch and throw with accuracy those are, are legitimately the only three things that all the great quarterbacks have they all have the ability to to do those three things at, at an elite level, and those are the three things that he's generally weakest. So I don't want to be, like, heaping on him. He's a great kid. He's got a really high upside if he can develop those things, but we haven't seen it yet. Therefore, to me, he's not in the class of the other three quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, Joel, the guy he reminds me of, not in terms of as a, like, on film or anything like that, but just in terms of people being so high on a guy almost entirely because of his physical attributes and – and, and people just completely overlooking the lack of college production was Jake Locker. And, I, and even Jake Locker had some big games over the course of his time at Washington, but overall his... Yeah,
3: I was, was going to say, yeah. he dominated some games
1: too, you know? But on the whole, his completion percentage was very low, his, his yeah. interceptions were high, and I don't know, people thought he would just get the NFL and they would fix that. And, and my impression is that if you're not a very accurate quarterback in college, there's only so much they can do. Uh, It's only going to get harder. Yeah,
3: Accuracy is hard to fix. There's, There's no question. And it's because it's a combination of those three things that I, that I was talking about with you, the anticipation, the touch and the accuracy, you know, your ability to anticipate has a lot to do with the, your ability to, to be viewed as an accurate passer of the football. And think of it this way. It's not like this guy is, you know, just some, some prodigy that all of a sudden, you know, took the college football by storm he, he was in California. He's not Carson Wentz who grew up in South Dakota and was injured in high school and was overlooked. And that's why he ended up at a small school. This kid was come from California, Josh Allen, which is a hotbed. If you're good in high school, you will be found in this state. There's no question about it. And it has to go to a junior college. And if you're good in a junior college, you will be found. I mean, look at all these programs. They take Anybody and everybody from the FAUs, the, I mean, they'll find you. And he kind of had to hide out at Wyoming. And then all of a sudden, without any real production, people are just like, hey, let's watch out for this kid because he's got the same coach as Carson Wentz. Well, it's like, well, I mean, he's had all this time. He's never really dominated. And now all of a sudden, he's going to be the quote, unquote, first pick. I just don't buy it. What
2: What gives me a little pause is when you hear people say, you know, oh, the talent around him was terrible. Well, the talent around him in 2017 may have been terrible. Last, the year before, he had like four guys on that offense who played in the NFL this past year and were on yeah. NFL mm-hmm. rosters. And
3: it's not like... Including a know, wide we, receiver, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, a wide receiver, a tight end, a running back, and a lineman. And it's not like, you know, we haven't seen David Fails lit up that league. You know, and it's not like David sure. Fales... I know arm strength is different here, but it's not like we haven't seen guys go into the MAC. Or, I'm sorry, the Mountain West and shine. And then all of a sudden, it's just such a, you know, a stew set. It's just such a, a big transition. What I'm curious about, especially from your perspective, which I think on the draft set is kind of unique this year in that you cover college football the whole year round. Some of the other guys may do it from a scouting sense and whatnot, but you're in meetings, you're around it all the time. I'm curious, you know, you've been, had your, you know, feet in, in you know, mock drafts and evaluation in years past. Is there a guy or two that you're like, man? I'm way higher on this guy than a lot of my peers who are doing this. I'm curious to see how this is going to unfold.
3: Yeah, it, it's interesting. When this first started, I felt like I was—I don't want to say carrying the torch because it's not like you're grandstanding for players as much as you're—you're you're kind of convicted with what you believe. Wouldn't you? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you get that sense, right? And I felt like at the beginning of this. And even maybe some, sometimes during the season, and you guys call me out if you think I'm crazy, I felt like, like I was higher on Mayfield than most, you know, and there was always the sentiment that like, well, you know, he's not, he's not that great of of an NFL prospect. And I just kept coming back to like, I was with Drew Brees in New Orleans for, for a small time in an off season. And there's a lot to him that reminds me of Brees. Now, some of the scouts think I'm crazy because he doesn't throw on platform and, and he's not anticipating tight window throws all the time because of the offense that he ran with Lincoln Riley, who provides a lot of easy throws, not just easy throws, but easy wins or the best game callers, if not the best play caller in college football. But I still see a lot of that in him. You know, he's, he's very accurate. He's, he's accurate regardless of what's going on around him. So, so he's one of the guys, a few other guys, I would say Rashad Penny is a guy that I'm really high on. I have him as my number two running back. And a lot of the other guys are going with guys or Jones or one of the two Georgia players, uh, Chubb and Michelle, Michelle. I, I am a big believer that Rashad Penny is a guy that can come in and do what, you know, what Alvin Kamara did or, or, uh, any of those guys. I, I think that Kareem hunt, he's the type of guy that can get the ball 20 to 25 times and really fix a team's run game. So I think he's interesting. And then there's another guy who just from, from my standpoint, I thought to myself, this guy is such a mismatch and and a quarterback's dream. And that's Mike Gesicki, the Penn uh, Penn State tight end. Guys, I think he's tailor-made for the NFL. And there's so many other tight ends that are getting more love than Gesicki. And I get it. The guy can't put his hand in the ground and be a great run blocker. But but I'm sorry, like, it, to, to me, Jimmy Graham has made millions of dollars in several Pro Bowls without having the ability to block anybody, you know. To some extent, that's really where the NFL has gone, at least for some teams. So if Kasicki can get to the right team in the right fit, I think he could have a huge career. Joe,
1: I'm curious your thoughts on Sam Darnold, and in particular, what seems like a full circle cycle he's gone through over the last year, year and a half. Coming off that Rose Bowl and that breakout redshirt freshman season, he everybody was already anointing him the number one pick. Then last season, yeah. it seemed like he regressed a little bit. He was throwing a lot of interceptions, and the thought process then, and I remember you saying this on a broadcast, was he's, he's not ready. He should come back for another year. But he did come turn pro, and now we're right back to, everybody assumes, number one pick. What happened?
3: Yeah. Well, first off, I want to go back to it because I, I didn't – Hint at that during a broadcast. You're right, and and that was born more out of more out of the history of the NFL and who succeeds and who wins Super Bowls at that position in the NFL more so than it was an indictment on the individual Sam Donald. And let me explain that real quick, too. If you do a little bit of a deep dive statistically uh, with the quarterbacks that have won the Super Bowl that are currently playing in the National Football League, what you will find is that on average, those players generally start about 33 times in college they're right up there in in the 7,000 you know to 10,000 yard range and and they've got you know nearly a thousand or or 1300 attempts and you, you think of that and you're like wow that's that's a lot that doesn't make any sense but then you start looking at some of these quarterbacks that have had so much success and they were they were longevity players in college football. You know, the Tom Brady's, the Russell Wilson's, Joe Flacco's, they they produced for a long time. Even Aaron Rodgers, and I include his junior college statistics, played a lot of football before he ever got to the National Football League. So my, my comment back then on the broadcast was more born out of that, less so an indictment of Sam Donald and his his readiness or his ability level. And let me then turn to Darnold more individually, guys. I think Darnold—he is—you've all seen Wonder, Mo- uh, Wonder Woman, right? I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you know the scene in Wonder Woman when she hops out of the trench at the front line and takes like all the fire from the German line? You know what I'm talking about?
2: This—this this is basically Sam Darnold coming out of uh, out of all the the stuff he has kind of had to sift through and sort through.
3: This is what I felt like Sam Darnold was at the beginning of last year. You know, we anointed him after the Rose Bowl. And because of us, my hype, your guys' hype, all of our hype in the media, people automatically on the fringe of the media said, well, I want to be the contrarian, you know? So where's the arrow that I can fire at this kid? Let's put a bullseye on his back. Let's put him under the microscope. And all of a sudden, all of the the vitriol and ire and focus and everything in college football went to him. Well, what it what, what it didn't do is go to his supporting cast, guys. That supporting cast, that team, the the previous year, the Rose Bowl team was a very good football team, a very good football team, and they had several NFL caliber players, including on the offensive line on the outside and 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 defensively. The team that Sam played with last year was not anywhere near what the Rose Bowl team was, except for him. You know, yeah, the only well, question mark in one the previous season was the quarterback.
2: Yeah. One good thing, Ronald Jones and the rest the patchwork offensive line and almost the entirely new group of receivers to get chemistry with. And we're
3: short and candidly, not very good. And then I've got to say this and I've talked with clay about it. I don't feel like the coaching staff did himself, did him any great service because their game planning was not great. They were trying something where, you know, Helton's brother was calling the third down plays, but T. Martin was calling the first and second down plays. And it just, They never got on rhythm offensively and, and candidly, I thought that's why Sam struggled more than anything else. And and he had a pretty phenomenal season. He was forced into some tough situations. I don't want to sound like an apologist, but I just think Sam is, is terrific player and he's got the least amount of baggage of any of
2: those guys up top. I was going to say for me, I think Sam Darnold has the lowest bust factor of all these four guys. And if, you know, he's the safest, I'm not saying potentially he would be the best. The one thing that gives me a little pause was the turnovers. You know, we had, we had, yeah. him, I think early on our crew did two years ago and he's a retro freshman. And I remember talking to the coaches and they were just saying, you know, it was, he's so competitive, you know, sometimes the fumbles would happen where he's just trying to to do things maybe he shouldn't do. How concerned would you be about you know, sometimes interceptions aren't on the quarterback. I would think he could speak to this better than we could. A lot of times the interceptions aren't on the quarterback. But how concerned would you be about the number of turnovers he had last year?
3: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Bruce, because in my mind, fumbles are always more concerning than, than interceptions, unless they are egregious interceptions. And on on average, if you are you know, charting it out about you know interceptions and how many of them are the actual quarterback's fault, I would say quarterbacks generally throw good ones, egregious interceptions about 10% of the time. The other 10%, you get a bust by the wide receiver or a drop, or it's a good ball that there's a great play made on by the defensive back, so on and so forth. So there are other factors for why you can throw an interception. You're forced into that by the situation of the game. But the fumbles are certainly more concerning. And, and the only, I guess, thing that you would try to back him up on is the fact that. I have seen in in the history of the sport that get corrected by Kurt Warner. Remember the fumble issues he was having with the Giants guys? And he corrected that with Arizona. So we've seen a precedent where a guy can learn how to control the football better, have better ball security. We've seen it with even Tiki Barber when he was a running back. He had fumble issues and he corrected that. We see it with running backs all the time. So, I'm not trying to pass it off. It's certainly a concern, and you can't win the football game if you turn the ball over, but that's something I think that can can get corrected in time.
2: Hey, Joel, I just want to close with this. Stu and I talked earlier in the podcast about Ohio State coming off their spring game over the weekend. I was there yeah. a few days ago. You had been through there a little before I was. Last year, you guys, your crew, you and you and Jenny Taft and Gus, had them five different times, probably saw them more than anybody in the national media from a TV standpoint. Yeah. They have an interesting situation. JT Barrett, the only three-time captain in the school's history. He's moving on. Three different quarterbacks now. What was your impression of the direction of this offense? Kevin Wilson's there. Ryan Day gets a little more elevated role now on the staff. You have, you have Dwayne Haskins and his big arm. What do you think we're going to see from Ohio State in 2018?
3: Yeah, I think you have a chance to see a a blueprint very similar to what they used post-JT Barrett on their run to the national championship. Candidly, I think that's what would be their best avenue for success because I saw it firsthand play out in a game that I did. When, When JT went down against Michigan, guys, they were down six in the big house, and Michigan's defense was rolling. They were backed up. I think it was second and long. And and Dwayne came in, and and their entire game plan changed to much more what it was in the Big Ten championship and then in the playoff and national championship back with Cardell Jones and Ezekiel Elliott. They were a downhill running team, and then they took shots down the field with a strong-arms passer, outside the numbers, more down the field, and they got the safeties out of the run game and out of the run box. And all of a sudden, Michigan's defense that defensive front that had been so dominant for nearly two and a half quarters started to struggle because the safeties had to back up and respect Dwayne's arm and the speed that they had on the outside. I believe in my heart of hearts that if they use that game plan, they will be exceptionally hard to beat, that they're another top five team and and clearly my favorite to win the big 10 championship. If they mess around with the quarterback position, like they did, post that national championship where it was kind of Barrett and Jones and they didn't exactly have a great identity. Ezekiel Elliott wasn't getting the carries that he needed in order to affect the games, which is a large, large reason why they lost to Michigan State. I think that's going to hurt them. They've got great running backs, a very good offensive line, a defense that could be very, very dominant and complete, particularly out front with a guy who, and I'll say it here, and I'm not trying to throw hyperbole out this, I think that the most dominant player and our sport in college football can be Nick Bosa. Just watching him play, knowing that he's going to get more 40-50 snap games rather than 20-30 snap games like he did a year ago. I think I'm very bullish in Ohio State, but, but with the caveat that they allow the offense to morph into what it can be under Dwayne Haskins and less of what it's been under Urban Meyer with a quarterback run-centric game in particular in, in crucial situations.
1: Okay, now I've got one more follow up on that. Uh, <laughs> you just just you got just it. just thinking about, yeah. you know, you you cover, you called all the the good Big 10 teams games last year including the Big 10 championship. So, I would assume Ohio State will go in as the favorite again, but if things if they're not the one, if they're not going to be the Big 10 champion, as of today, who do you like the best?
3: My my second team, I think the the team that it's hard to say that they would be a surprise, but I had them in the bowl game and they, I just get this, this sense about them. They have a lot returning on defense. They have a lot of their offensive line returning. They got their veteran running back to, to come back to school and a quarterback. That's now one year more experience. They've done it before Michigan state guys. No one likes to talk about Michigan state, but they are really good this year. And to me, they are the, the next team in line behind Ohio State. I think Penn State has lost too much. Uh, Michigan, there's so many question marks surrounding Patterson's eligibility. I think it's hard to say them. And then Wisconsin will be right there. I think those are my top three, is Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. I thought you were going to say Wisconsin
2: right off right after that. You, instead, you, you went Michigan State first, then Wisconsin. That surprised me just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean,
3: I think... <sighs> Wisconsin's right there, and, and clearly, you know, I, I think they're the class of that division. They're going to have a chance to win the conference, but there's something about Michigan State that I could see them bouncing back in a serious way. You know, they went through that tough year, three and what was it, three and eight. Then they went 10 games in a bowl game, and there was just something about what was going on at that bowl game uh, in San Diego that just hadn't it just felt like a real kickoff now they're going to be galvanized with all the issues that that have been going on surrounding you know their coach in that school and I I certainly believe that they're going to have a really good year The, the team that I'm not quite as bullish on I think James Franklin might just like disown me as as a potential friend because he's already mad that I threw out some of those stats about Saquon Barkley not being like necessarily a workhorse guy, right? He's not a 25-carry-a-game guy, which is factual. But he was on an episode of that. Penn State lost a lot of players, guys. I'm just saying that, Stu. I know that you're more bullish on Penn State. I read your mailbag. But think about it now. They lose Gesicki. They lose, uh, who is it, Allen uh, Robinson, the wide receiver. They the, lose Deshaun Hamilton. Hamley. They lose Deshaun Hamilton. That's right. They lose their play caller, Joe Moorhead. No one's talking about that. They lose Jason Cabinda. They lose Marcus Allen. That's a lot. I mean, a lot in particular because we're talking about, like, leaders, mainstays, pillars of the program. So, hey Joel, this if you had to it, has a lot
2: to prove. If, which do you think will hurt them more, losing Joe Moorhead or losing Saquon?
3: Well, I think you have to say Saquon because players play. But I, I will give this a huge but. That offense schematically was drastically different. With Jill Moorhead in the last two years, and and the reason that you know that is not just film study. When you sit down and talk with defensive coordinators around the Big Ten, they will tell you that he was one of the most difficult to game plan for. He game planned it around a really bad offensive line that struggled immensely in run blocking, and he was still able to get terrific production for Saquon Barkley. He would pick Barkley in the pass game. He would get him all sorts of touches and creative ways. And, and now I believe it's Ricky Ronnie, who I grew up around. In fact, he was a quarterback at Fair Creek High School when I was playing at Pomona High School just down the road. So I've known Ricky for a long time, played with his cousin in minor league baseball. That's a big spot for Ricky, who's not been a play caller in his career, spent a lot of time at Kansas State, got a chance at Penn State. Really good guy, hard worker, but he's, a, he's got some big shoes to fill.
1: I agree with all that.
3: I mean, you're right. I, I was pretty complimentary of them in the mailbag,
1: but they definitely have questions. I guess basically we'll find out is Penn State as a program at the point where they can – because, right, Ohio State loses that – those the, the, the list of players you rattle off, Ohio State loses that every year and they're fine. Is Penn State at a point yet as a program under James Franklin where they can reload like
3: that and in particular right. replace a really – And he's recruited yeah. well. I don't want to take that away from him. You know, like – they're talented, so and, and the line that you had in the mailbag that was so correct was that this is going to be one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. I, I agree with that. It's just a matter of can, can they put it together, so you weren't you weren't totally wrong, Stu. I wasn't trying to take a shot. Okay, no,
1: I didn't take it as a shot, but it, anytime you back up something I wrote, I feel much better about it, because I know you know these teams cold, so... This was fun. We should do this more often.
3: Uh, hey, and we didn't even we didn't even talk about Tebow, which is probably good for me. It's good for all of us. It's good. That's, for all
1: you us. know what? Now that you <laughs> mentioned it, this was a rather mild appearance by you. There were there was right, nothing right. I could see being aggregated and turned into a hot Twitter take from this interview.
3: No, definitely no hot Twitter takes, which is great. Yeah, this was fun, guys. You guys are the best. I pay attention like a hawk to everything that you do because you got your pulse on the sport you have the pulse of the sport so i
2: appreciate you having me on all right and you can check out joel next week first time ever for the nfl draft on network television on fox round one kicks off 8 p.m eastern thursday april 26th joel will be all over it as he always is but especially so this year and obviously You can check him out as we get closer to the season. Thanks, Joel.
3: Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one.
1: All right, we we always love talking to Joel. I really like the stats he was dropping uh, when we talked about Darnold, and you know he he had all those stats about how experienced Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are. I just have one question for you, Bruce. Did they give you some sort of promoter read for the draft? You've got all the. You sound very polished when you talk about when the draft is going to be. You know, with Joel there, I've always said
2: this to people. To Joel's credit, you know, he didn't set out to be some broadcast guy. He was a, you know, he was a minor league baseball player turned CU quarterback. But he is really polished. You know, you just kind of in a little bit of awe when you see he's one of the rare analysts who could be a play-by-play guy. So I made my notes, and I'm like, don't uh, stutter and do it with Joel on the podcast. I can. I can get away with it when Wansdat's on here. I can, get away with
1: I can get away with it when Brando's on here,
2: but for this one, I didn't want to do that. So,
1: all right. Well, uh, thanks for bringing your A game.
2: Yeah. So, uh, do you feel a little better now that, I, I, not that you were you know, were waffling, but you were definitely not in the Josh Allen camp, and and Joel, you know, hammered that point home. You feel even more convicted on that.
1: Yeah. But I'm not surprised. I, I feel like, um and I've noticed this in past drafts. Joel and I are kind of on the same wavelength in terms of he 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 kind of keeps his college analyst hat on, I believe, more than some of the other guys who do both. you know he like for instance, the jameis Mariota year he was all he was you know in the minority, I think who thought Mariota should have gone one because he had called his games, and he you know knew he was really good, so. I, I'm not surprised at that that, or, or for instance, his Baker being high on Baker Mayfield, I'm not surprised. He, I think, benefits from the fact that he watches these guys all year in real time, whereas a lot of the draft analysts are, you know, turning on the tape in January and seeing these guys for the first time.
2: Yeah, I think there's that. I also think there's an element, and I forgot who exactly he said it about, but I think sometimes we, we you know, and I would put you in this too, where... We're around these guys. We also talk to the people who play them, and so you get that added, you know, benefit of you know the co- you know rival coaches. It's not to say that the NFL personnel people don't turn over every stone because I think they do, but the NFL personnel people aren't necessarily the ones who are doing mock drafts. You know, it's you get there's so many people out there now who are doing it, and they can show you you know a couple of clips of Josh Allen that make you say wow. And sometimes that you know that clip of a wow. You know, I think there can be there can be good and bad of, you know, people can fall in love over some coaches' tape at times, and I think with you know with his exposure, just having done you know not just one season, usually it's a couple seasons of these guys. Not to say he's done it you know with everybody, because certainly you know Fox's reach isn't isn't that way. It's not like he's doing Wyoming games, but I do think that perspective can really help and can can that's why I think sometimes we're all on similar pages with this
1: you know I don't consume drop, mock drafts every day like you do where is Lamar Jackson currently expected to go he depends you know there's some teams that you know the Saints you hear like him you hear the Patriots
2: like him I mean he's he is as polarized if not more really than, than Josh Allen I think because a lot of people look at Josh Allen from that NFL perspective, and, like, there's a chance he could be the first pick in the draft.
1: Yeah, no, it seems like there's a pretty tight window in which Allen, I mean, whether he's the first quarterback taken or the third quarterback taken, he's still going to go really high. With Lamar Jackson, and I know one of the big storylines has been that he doesn't have an agent, and it's hard to line up visits with him. Like, he, he I mean, I, I guess I asked you, like, is there any thought that he's going to slip to the third round or something like that?
2: I, my guess is that he could slip into the second round. I don't know if that will happen, mm. but I think there's there's a possibility that. look, it wouldn't shock me if Josh Rosen slipped, you know because after a while, once you start getting to a run, there are some teams that don't need a quarterback, you know, And so maybe Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield slips out of the top six and then all of a sudden, where do they end up? You know, and then all of a sudden it starts becoming you know, we'll be watching and we'll you'll hear. It's like that's a thing, you know. Remember, Aaron Rodgers fell a long way. And that guy's.
1: It, it happens to somebody. Team, it happens yeah. to somebody every year. I, I'm pretty sure the year Brett Hundley went in the fourth round, we went into it thinking he was going to go high second round. So, you never know. That will make this year's draft more interesting than most. You know, oftentimes there's only two, maybe three quarterbacks who people think are going to go in the first round, but this year there's four or five. So. That'll be, that'll be uh, fascinating to watch. Thanks, everybody. I know this was a little bit on the long side for us, but I think we crammed in a lot of good stuff, both on spring football and the draft. We will bring back the mailbag next week, I promise. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash the audible, where you get a 25% discount and a seven-day free trial follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter you can follow me at SL Mandel. see you next time we'll talk about it for years oh, yeah.